Today's guest is world-renowned golf sports psychologist and author of the best-selling book, Golf is Not a Game of Perfect, Dr. Bob Rotella. Rotella's clients have included Tom Kite, Jack Nicklaus, and hundreds of other golf, NBA, MLB, and NFL clients, in particular, kickers, punters, and snappers. The parallels between the psychology of great golf and kicking have always been uncanny, and it was truly a humbling experience to discuss this with one of my early heroes. Doc's book saved my college football career as a kicker. As a nervous young specialist who couldn't get out of his own way, struggled to believe in himself, and stuck inside his own head, Rotella's work not only helped me, but thousands of other athletes from all walks of life get out of their own way, believe in themselves, and ultimately have more fun. Enjoy. Yeah. Well, you know, I've had a lot of fun over the years. I mean, uh, probably the first kicker I ever worked with was Alinda Murray back with Miami. And I worked a lot with Jay Feely and Chris Brown and Nick Novak and even spent really? an hour with Brian Sukup. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of time with it over the years. I've had a lot of fun. But you're right. I haven't ever written a book about it. <laughs> You'll probably have to make an addition. Kicking is not a game of perfect at some point. I think we'll just do podcasts. <laughs> Sounds great. I, I, well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat. So tell us a little bit about how you got started in the sports psychology uh, world. Well, you know, interestingly, I, I, I had a cousin who was Vince Lombardi's best friend. My cousin Sal Soma coached at Newdorf High School in Staten Island, New York, and Lombardi coached at St. Cecilia's. And every time he'd come and visit, um, Vermont for holidays I'd be the only one in the family who really wanted to hear his stories and they were all attitude stories um you know they were both football coaches and they were very into attitude and the mind and that got me interested and then I was you know I grew up about 50 yards from the Catholic high school which was very successful during the time I was growing up and I was a quarterback on the football team and the point guard on the basketball team and played baseball. And, you know, I, I just got to spend a lot of time in coaches' offices because I was, you know, I was almost always the captain, both in high school and in college where I played basketball and lacrosse. But, and, and that, you know, coaches were always talking about attitude and the mind and gamers and practice players versus gamers. And how do you get people to play to their ability? And how do you get people to believe in yourself? So, I mean, that got me very stimulated. Then when I graduated from college, I coached at my high school for a year uh, that I went to, Mount St. Joseph Academy in Rutland, Vermont, and, and taught during the day at an institution for retired and handicapped kids. And I probably learned an awful lot about attitude from those kids. Um, I thought they probably had some of the best attitudes I'd ever seen. And when people asked me about it, I said, well, they were really, really good at finding the one thing in life that was going great and thinking about it morning, noon, and night. And so many other people have 99 things going right in their life, and they spend all day thinking about the one thing that isn't exactly the way they'd like it to be. You know, they <laughs> wish they were taller, wish they could jump higher, wish they were quicker, whatever, right. wish they were smarter. And, and so, I mean, I learned an awful lot about attitude from those kids. Um, and then I just, you know, I went to the University of Connecticut, and I coached lacrosse there and uh, basketball at the University High School while I was in grad school. And then I coached uh, at the University of Virginia for a couple of years. And then they asked me to start working with all the teams and start um, a doctoral program. 
and he offered me a tenure track position and I left coaching and um, started working with people on their heads. At, at the time, I, you know, I really had no idea if there'd be a career in it, but I thought it was what I was most naturally talented at. I, I, was, I always could get into people's heads and get people to believe in themselves. And I think that came easier to me than X's and O's. I mean, I see some coaches that really see X's and O's, but don't see some of the stuff I see. The same way in golf. I'm not that into where the club face is at the top of the swing or any of that, but I can really see talent in people. And I've had a lot of fun bringing it out of people. And that's, I don't know, it's turned into a, a career and I've had a lot of fun with it, you know, for the last 40 something years. So that's in a nutshell. Great. Yeah. And I think it's, um, you know, it's especially interesting seeing just, uh, you know, you, you, you're right. Like there's, there's many different coaches and some of them are very X's and O's oriented. And there's always that one coach that maybe a kid could point to who maybe they didn't teach them anything technically right, but, but help them think about their sports career a little bit differently. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a lot of it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, what is your perception of your talent? You know, like with kickers, it's like, well, do you want to be a good high school kicker? Do you want to be the best high school kicker in the state? Do you want to be the best high school kicker in history? Do you want to play in college? Do you want to be the national kicker of the year? Do you want to be the greatest kicker in the history of college? Do you want to be the best kicker in the history of the NFL? Or... And I mean, the point is we end up becoming what we think about ourselves. And I spend a lot of time trying to get people to really take a look at how you think about yourself. And are you sure that this is how you want to think about yourself? And sometimes it's like, well, how would you like it if the coach thought about you the way you're thinking about yourself? <laughs> you know, what if the coach said, well, I think you could be pretty good, but I don't see you being really good. I mean, how many people would like that? You know, but they do it with their own self and their own life and their own career. So, I mean, a lot of times is you got to get people to really take a different look at themselves and how they perceive themselves because it has a big impact on how they approach, I mean, from their commitment level, you know, as to their dedication level, to their confident level, to their ability to perform. I mean, if you've been seeing yourself in your head kicking game winners in the biggest games in the NFL, it's very different than if you can't see yourself doing that and it'll have right. a big impact and it's funny how often people start worrying about being well i don't want to get too confident you know i don't want to get overconfident and i go okay as a kicker if you look back at your career how many times have you missed a kick because you were sloppy and you just weren't even interested in the game and you missed because you were asleep or out to lunch and I mean, I've never had a kicker said that ever even happened to them in a game, you know, at the college or pro level. And I go, well, then why are you worried about being overconfident? I mean, let's not worry about it until we start missing kicks because we're overconfident. I say, right. Then I usually have a discussion about what is that anyways? I, I don't really know what being too confident is. People say, well, I don't want to get lazy. I said, well, I, th I think if you thought you could be the greatest kicker in history, you would probably be unbelievably committed and dedicated and disciplined. Um, if you didn't think you could ever be very good, you'd almost be stupid to be dedicated and committed. You know, like, <laughs> go find something you think you could be really good at and be committed to it. 
But anyways, I mean, you have to unravel a lot of that stuff. And I, I think guys who really want to be successful, um, they're really into being honest and taking a very honest, open look at themselves. And some of it's that, some of it's getting into great routines. But, you know, a lot of it is that stuff. A lot of it is dealing with coaches. You know, it's interesting in golf. Like if you went to the top college golf teams, the kids, when they get to the university, they already have a coach that they've worked with for years. The best college coaches let those coaches work with their golfers all through college and are not jealous of it, not envious, aren't threatened by it. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes in football, you have to, you, you've got this coach you've worked with for years back home, but now you get to the school and you got to work with a coach. And, you know, what I'm always trying to get people to understand is, well, why don't you have your coach sit down with your college coach and learn your language, learn about your tendencies, learn how you like to work on it. I mean, learn everything you can from your other coach right? and have them work together. And I mean, the more of that you have, the easier it is for the kicker. Sure. And so I'm curious, how do you now help your golfers or in the past when you've worked with kickers or other athletes, how do you help them navigate that fine line between being cocky versus being confident? Because I feel like at least when I work with younger uh, kickers, punters and snappers, they, there's like a, I just noticed that they really struggle to go onto the field feeling confident. They almost feel like they have to, they, they work so hard that they forget that they still have to go on the field, have fun and, you know, kind of let it rip. How do you navigate that fine line between cocky versus confident? Well, I mean, first of all, there's an issue with use of words. The English language isn't very good for describing what it really means to be really believe in yourself. And mm -hmm. so we use words like cocky or we, you know, in my books, I use a word that sounds nicer, like an inner arrogance. You inner, know, I you like don't that. <laughs> how good you are, but boy, inside you think you're a stud muffin, you know, so, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's an inner attitude really, but you know, in dealing with it, you tell people, Hey, when you leave the field, just because you're the best kicker in the country, you got to remember after the game, you're not bigger than life, better than life, or more important than anyone else in life. You, you know, you just happen to be a really great kicker. But to be a great kicker, you have to have tons of confidence. And the problem is most people aren't going to understand that or appreciate that because they're not trying to be the best in the world at something. Or they're not trying to go out in the stadium with 100,000 people and, and kick a game winner with an announcer that's going to rip you to shreds. <laughs> Maybe a coach is going to yell at you. Like, I mean, right. the general public, you know, when they watch a football coach get on people, I mean, their tendency is, oh, my God, that would just destroy me. He goes, yeah, well, it doesn't destroy them. They're, they're used to right. it. You know, and it, it, they, so, I mean, you, you have to deal with the fact that people aren't going to understand because they're not trying to do what you're trying to do. And so, I mean, you, you have to get people to not look at being confident as you're a jerk because the minute you start talking about confidence people start bringing up issues you know i don't want to be a jerk i don't want to be an ass i don't want everyone to hate me i go why do you think everyone who's confident is a jerk and you have to really get people to take a look at it and think about it because if that's what they think they're going to make sure they aren't real confident because they want everyone to like them and you get people to understand i don't care who you are 
I mean, you can be the greatest kicker in history. You could be the best golfer in history. And half the world's going to love you and half the world's going to hate you. And you just got to <laughs> I mean, they're right. going to second guess you. They're going to rip you when you make a mistake. And you just have to say, hey, at least they're talking about me. You know, I'm on center stage. They wouldn't even dare come out here and do what I do. And let's face it, most of the world wouldn't do what kickers do. Right. You know, and that's why over the years you've heard people call them all kinds of crazy names because they can't understand it. So, so they come up with these negative sounding terms that describe kickers. Who are, you know, I mean, one guy's trying to be loose to goose, one's trying to be cocky as heck, one's kicking with a chip on his shoulder, but they've all found a way to get in a mindset where they can let themselves do something they already know how to do. So, I mean, so, I mean, that's the other issue. We're not asking a kicker to do something that he doesn't know how to do, that he hasn't seen himself doing practice. So, we're not, we're very into the idea that there has to be competency as well as confidence. Mm -hmm. My concern and my work is with people who've already put in the work. They got their leg in good shape. I mean, they know how to do it. They've watched themselves in practice do it over and over again. And now it's, am I going to let myself do something I already know how to do in a game situation with the whole world watching or the game on the line or whatever you want to call it. And so, I mean, it takes both competency and confidence, but there's a lot of people who can kick on a practice field who won't trust that they can do it in a game. And so then they start guiding and steering it or mm -hmm. overthinking it or whatever you want to call it and get in their way. And, you know, and they have to learn to get past that. But I mean, that's a lot of what it's about at some point. Now you talk about kickers or sorry, golfers in your book about needing to, you know, you have this great line, train it, trust it. And it, mm -hmm. there's, how do you navigate that kind of blurry area between fully expecting when you go onto the golf course or when you go onto the football field that you're going to kick or perform really well. And at the same time, if you shank something, you don't let it blow your mind. Because I've seen, you know, you probably know golfers, I know kickers that if they miss their first kick, like or their first putt or whatever it blows their whole self-confidence how do you navigate that weird kind of paradox between wanting to be perfect every time but also needing to be detached when you aren't well so let's let's deal with the first part first the, uh, the training and trusting so I, I tell you look you better make sure that your dominant habit the one that you're most comfortable with is the one that works in a game okay so you better have a mental routine and a process that you go through that becomes very simple and very unconscious. And you better make sure that you're spending at least 60% of your practice doing that on a regular basis. And I tell people, as you get near the start of the season or during the week of a game, as you get closer and closer to the day of the game, it needs to work to 70 to 30% of your kicks you know, 80, 20, 90, 10 to the last day or so, or in warmups, it ought to be every kick doing the routine you're going to use in the game. And when people panic, they tend to want to go back. If, if they have done too much training and they've got too mechanical and too complicated, they're going to want to go back to that information because what they hear in their head is, 
uh, if I don't do this with my plant or if I don't do this with my leg, I could miss this. So I got to make sure I do it and it messes the whole thing up. Right. It, it starts affecting your timing, your rhythm. And the problem is when we, when we see a poor kick, all we see on TV is a replay of what the body does or the leg does or whatever, or the ball. And we don't have a video camera that shows us what's going on inside their head. If we did, it'd be a lot easier for people to understand, oh, he missed that because his head was in the wrong place. Hmm. But because we don't have that video camera, it's up to the player, you know, to be very honest with him or herself. So, I mean, I think there's a time to train, a time to trust. And some players, you know, they can do, they can do quite a bit of work on their technical stuff. And then the day before the game, totally let it go. And know when they get in the game, they've got such a good habit and such a good routine ingrained over the years that when they get in the game, they're turning it over to their routine and subconscious control and are able to do it nicely. Other people, boy, they need three, four days before the game. And you better know what you need and what your tendencies are. You know, are your tendencies to get too analytical, under pressure? So as you get closer and closer to the game, you start worrying more about a bad kick and like for some kickers it's certain parts of the field or certain distances or certain hash marks or whatever and well at some point boy you better just learn to treat them all the same so I mean I'm really into giving every kick the same equal low level of importance and you know if it's a zero to ten scale you know it's probably somewhere around a three or four it's certainly not a ten and it's right. not a zero but I mean, there's, it's closer to being pretty darn relaxed um, than it is being tense and tight and trying real hard and caring a lot. And so, I mean, I think the great kickers are able to be indifferent about the outcome and really get lost in their process. And, you know, it really separates people. And, and that gets back to your question about, you know, what if you miss one early? I mean, it, it, it like a routine is all about not caring if you make it or miss it early. You know, I always tell people who have that tendency, I said, well, you know, they'll say to me, well, you know, if I make a good kick early in the game, I'm usually really good. And I go, gee, I hope you make your first one. <laughs> you know, and they laugh just like, yeah, I go, yeah, I mean, that, that's the flaw in that way of thinking. Right. It only is a good approach if you make your first one. And I want to know is, can you miss your first one and make the next three. You know, I mean, that's what it's all about. And so you have a choice to either trust your routine or to panic. And for the people I've worked with, I mean, we basically, we don't care about the snap or the hold. And in our routine, it's like, we're not adjusting to a bad snap or a bad hold. Once the ball is snapped, we're taking our steps and going through our mental process. And if we swing at air, we swing at air, but we're not going to start changing our steps and trying to adjust to the ball. I mean, we're going to let, we're going to totally trust the snapper. We're going to trust the holder. We're going to trust the line and the blockers, and we're going to do our routine. And if the ball's there, it's going through the goalpost. And if it's not there, well, we'll kick air, but we're not going to make any adjustments. Right. And, and it's the same with, you know, when people have a part of the field they have trouble with is because, they start having some doubts about it and they start getting more conscious and careful 
I mean, really what happens is doubt causes you to get careful to make sure you make a really good kick because you've had bad experiences instead of just doing what you normally do. Right. And so, you know, you get people to go practice or whatever, you know, whether it's windy situations because you have a stadium that's really windy or bad turf or whatever it is or rain or snow or whatever. I mean, you just have to be able, you know, so part of it is anticipate any situation you might experience in a game and practice it. So I'm very into anticipate and prepare for anything and everything that could happen. And likewise, anticipate what if you make your first one and miss your next two and now you got a game with it. Well, that's when you find out if you did the mental preparation to just really trust your routine. The other thing that comes up, I remember years ago, a college kicker I was working with, the first time I sat down with him, he said, well, I had my best game ever against Alabama at Alabama when Alabama was number one in the country. You know, 100,000 people at the game. And I said, well, why is that? He said, oh, well, I knew we were going to lose before the game started. So I knew none of my kicks mattered. Right. Well, I just kicked. That was unbelievable. Wow. But put me in a game where I know we have a chance to win and it's going to come down to my kicking. Oh, I start getting careful and I start thinking and I make it too important and I struggle. And so, I mean, and everybody has certain things that kind of bug them and you have to get past them all. You right. know, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing. That's why, I mean, it's an, let's face it, it's an incredible part of the game. It's an incredible skill. <laughs> As I mentioned to you last time we talked, I said, I'm still amazed that football has allowed soccer players to be the leading scorer on every team <laughs> and determine the outcome of every close game. And now they're right. bringing in Australian rule football uh, punters to, to punt. So, I mean, I said no other sport would ever allow someone who can't, I mean, like we wouldn't let a tennis player putt for a golfer. We wouldn't right. let a football player take penalty kicks for the soccer team. You know, so, I mean, it's, it's fascinating that we've done it, but it, it's the way it is. And for, for the benefit of kickers and punters, it's given them an opportunity to be a very, very important part. Like even, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think the world of Tom Brady is an unbelievable performer. But if you look, every Super Bowl they've won, they've had great kickers and right. the kickers have really performed and made a difference in almost every Super Bowl they've won and every playoff game, even in the snow. And it's like, it's hard to win without great kickers. Right. And I think it's, um, you know, they're oftentimes they're the lead scorers on all the teams, but it's, it's a completely like inverse law. You know, uh, your special teams might be responsible for hundreds of yards of field position every game but you're only going to dedicate 10 minutes of it in practice to it in high school. Yep. Now you, you talk a lot about choice. But, and by freedom. the way, on that, on that point you just yep. made before we yep. go on, I mean, yep. my experiences as coaches, I mean, it's, it really exposes how coaches think about their team on a given year. When coaches think they have a chance to be really successful, they really get a lot more interested in kicking they're a lot more interested in who their kicker is and they're spend a lot more time in practice in kicking. And I mean, players kind of know it. They can sense it. They can see, Hey, coach must think we really got a chance this year. And I mean, players have learned when coaches don't spend any time on it. It's like, well, they don't think it's going to come down to kicking. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's pretty fascinating. 
Yeah, and I think it's um it's it's very telling, right? You notice all the teams that just landed a big kicker, punter, uh, or snapper contract, they're all playoff contenders, or they or they soon there are after. Yeah. Um, now, kind of talk me through, you know, in the in the intro to your book, Golf's Not a Game of Perfect, you say you are you are an enlarger. You're you're kind of like uh, what you're really focused on at first when you sit down with a player are their dreams. Why do you start with the players' dreams? Well, let's go back to the enlarger. Um, the reason I said that is because I think people have a very narrow view of psychology. I think when they went to undergraduate school, they all took a course in abnormal psych. <laughs> and I, as a coach, I had no interest in abnormal psych. As a student, I had no interest. I still don't really understand why in undergraduate school we teach people about abnormal psychology at the low end rather than teaching people about success psychology. In other words, right. why doesn't every student in high school, I mean, from middle grade up, why aren't we teaching people about success, about greatness? But about we're learning about serial killers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, why, why do we want to talk about you know, why do we want to teach people about people who are, you know, got real serious clinical problems? I mean, I'm glad there's people who study it. Right. But I wouldn't think that's what every student ought to be studying. So anyways, my point is, my job is to take people who are already good, already confident, and get them to great and unbelievably confident psychiatrists and clinical psychologists are taking people with serious clinical issues and trying to get them to normal functioning. So when I went to grad school and started studying this while I was coaching, I said, look, I have no interest in any of that stuff. I want to study people who are unbelievably successful. I want to study people who want to do awesome stuff. I want to study people at the exact opposite end. So it's a totally different body of knowledge. Mm -hmm. It really has nothing to do with abnormal psych or clinical psychology. It, it's a different body of information. It's about having, being in the greatest state of mind. It's about being in a great mood. It's being unflappable in situations that most normal human beings would fall apart in or panic. And so, I mean, it's a whole different body of knowledge. And, you know, most people would say, well, you know, everything you say is so logical. It makes so much sense, but man, it's really hard to do. And I go, right. yeah, well, you said you wanted to be one of the greatest kickers in history. You think <laughs> you're going to be just normal? You know, so right. I mean, it, you're going to do, I mean, being able to kick a football 65 yards, you know, isn't very normal. It's really hard to do. But I tell people, so you didn't stop trying to improve your kicking uh, because it was hard. Well, I mean, so don't be surprised if it's hard to have the mindset you have to have to be a great kicker under pressure. So anyways, that's right. a simple response to that. Right, right. And so I think, so then, okay, so you work, so that's what you're, you know, you do, you enhance people who've already got the confidence and, and the competencies. And then the, kind of talk me through why you focus then after on, like really taking time to understand what each player's dream or goal is when they come and meet you. And I think in your book, you, you really emphasize it's got to be some kind of like big audacious goal. Why do you do yeah. that? Well, 
first of all, talk about dreams. If you go back in time when you're a little kid, and, and this is the danger, by the way, of too many TV shows, too many movies, too much time on the computer. Um, I mean, when you're a little kid, you just dream. I mean, you started having dreams about kicking in the NFL. And for most people, they start giving up on their dream. They start having someone convince them their dream is unrealistic. Or they start throwing away the dream themselves and start convincing themselves it was a crazy idea. And, you know, I'm just not lucky enough to do something like that. And so, I mean, I want people to keep dreaming because when you're dreaming, you don't have any limits. Like I've got eight grandkids. Um, you know, it, they change constantly at, the, at their young age. But boy, there is, they don't ever have a dream and think, man, I couldn't do that. You know, mm. they're all under the age of 12. And boy, they think they can do anything they put their mind to. And education tends to convince us otherwise. You know, we want people to be realistic. And, I, and I'm into, with your mind, you get to create your own reality. And I think dreams is the best way of saying it. You know, it, if you think about it, I'll go back to something Tom Kite said to me back around 1980. He said, I love how you talk about dreams instead of goals. I said, why? He said, well, you know, when I was a little kid and some adult told me I ought to have a goal, I always thought I was going to get a pat on the back if I achieved it and a spanking if I failed to. And I was going to be a bad little boy if I didn't do it. And he said, but a dream is all mine. They're my ideas about my life. And he said, all I want to do is get up every day chasing my dream. And he said, if on the day I retire or the day I die, I can look in the mirror with a big grin on my face and say, I got up every day of my life chasing my dream, man. I'm going to be a happy guy. He said, I'll promise you, it's not going to be about how many trophies I've accumulated or how much money I got. I just want to be able to say, man, I, ch I spent my whole life chasing my dream. And, you know, and I think that's, you know, it's a wonderful way of looking at it. Right. But, but when I'm working with people, I, I want them, don't tell me what you think I want to hear. You know, don't try to be afraid that I'm going to say, well, that's ridiculous. What makes you think you could do that if you haven't ever done it before? And so, I mean, you, you, it, it allows people to just start talking openly and freely about what it is they'd really like. And then I say, okay, well, if that's your dream, this is how you got to think. In other right. words, you can't have the dream of being the best kicker in the NFL and then spend every day worrying about missing kicks. <laughs> you know, right. They don't go hand in hand. So if you have the dream, now we got to get our mind to match up with it. Gotcha. And do you find most of your work early on with players isn't necessarily trying anything new, but rather breaking down a lot of faulty thinking that they've had? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people have a lot of false belief barriers that get in their way. You know, whether it's, you know, I wasn't that good in ninth grade, or I wasn't the top recruit in the country coming out of high school, or, you know, I wasn't the best kicker in the country in college. Or, you know, I missed a game winner last year. I'm probably going to always miss game winners. Or, you know, I'm just not good from the left hash mark. Or I'm better on long kicks than I am on short kicks. I mean, it's just amazing the different things people make up. Uh, right. You know, and, and they tend to overgeneralize them. 
And, you know, the tendency is like when they look at other kickers that are their heroes, all they see is their best kicks. In their mind, that's all they saw. And, you know, on the other hand, when they look at tape of their own kicking, all they want to do is pick it apart. And I always tell them, well, <laughs> if, if you were on a date with a really good-looking gal, how much of that first date are you going to spend picking her apart? Mm -hmm. <laughs> to get her to really like you. And everyone says, oh, no way, man. I'm kissing her butt. I'm just, right. I'm like, I'm just complimenting her. Like, good. Well, you got to do that to yourself if you want. Right. I mean, it sounds silly, but you got to really be in love with yourself when you step out in that field and assign the kick. Right. And I think, and you, the, I'm uh, sorry. Well, I, when you said, you know, you got to be in love with yourself, that, do you think that that there's like a, a negative connotation to that in the sport of football? Cause I think it has like this really, you know, nitty gritty, tough guy, you know, no emotions type sport. And a lot of people will hear that word and, and their gut reaction will be like, Oh, but that would make me, you know, overconfident or something. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, my experience is working with NFL players at any position. They already know how much mm -hmm. they got to be in love with themselves. They, they know right. in the locker room, they know how in love some of their teammates are with themselves. <laughs> I mean, it's gotcha. pretty obvious. I mean, they're strutting. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, the guys in the locker room with unbelievable bodies, they're strutting around and they're like showing off. I mean, they're like, I mean, right. it's, I mean it's, it's pretty obvious. Now, would I always use the word being in love with yourself in the NFL? Not always, but, you sit down with a group of position players and they totally get it. I mean, they know, but you can call it whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. but it's a mindset. And right. people are always asking me, they always want these sophisticated psychological techniques. And I say, it's not about techniques. It's about you, you learning how to use your brain to help you get what you want. And it's, it's a mindset. It's an attitude. Mm -hmm. It's a, you know, like people ask me, they want to go into all these detailed questions about visualizing. What do I visualize? You know, what exactly, what perspective should I see it from? You know, should I, you know, and I think there's a lot of, and I go, it doesn't matter. What matters is that you see yourself doing what you want to do in a game situation and that you can be comfortable. And some people say, well, you know, when I try to visualize kicking game winners, in the Super Bowl, oh, God, the pitcher goes, I just can't do it. I mean, every time I try, I just – I go, well, if you can't even imagine it, what do you think the chances are of you being able to do it? Right. So, I mean, you say, well, you better do it – you better practice it a lot because the first step is to be able to see it in your head. So, I mean, getting people to understand that you're programming yourself every day with how you're thinking about yourself. So, I mean, one of my rules is if you're going to think about kicking, think about kicking great or don't think about kicking. Right. A lot of people think they're dedicated because they lie in bed worrying about kicking bad in the game tomorrow. And I go, yeah, well, you're dedicated to kicking poorly. Mm. I mean, would you go out and practice kicking badly? I mean, would you practice – would you go to the field every day, the week of a game, and say, you know what, I'm going to intentionally miss every kick today in practice. Right. Or do everything wrong. You know, no one would do that. So they're just self-sabotaging. Yeah. And so it just got, you know, it's all, it's pretty basic, but boy, it, you got to get good at it. Right. And yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, and a lot of times, I mean, you go back to your point about enlarging it. A lot of times it's like, 
I don't know. You know, it's like I see talent in people that they don't always see in themselves when we first get mm -hmm. started. And I, I got to bring it out of them. I got to show them that, God damn, you're good. Why, why would you be really believing in yourself? Right. Why would you, why, why waste your time believing in some other kicker more than you believe in you? Right. And, you know, yeah. your point earlier is if you become too much of a perfectionist, it can eat your lunch. I mean, if you're afraid of missing, well, then it's going to be hard to be a great kicker. I mean, and that sounds crazy to people who don't get it, but you gotta, you got to really not care once you're on the field about the outcome of the kick. Um, it's like, hey, if I'm going to be a kicker, I'm going to make some really big ones, and every so often I'm going to miss one, and i got to not let it own me. You know, so like, and people say, well, what if I miss a kick? How long should I carry that with me after the game? I'd say, well, give yourself 10, 15 minutes. You could learn everything you needed to learn about a missed kick in the next 15 minutes after the game. After that, either stop thinking about kicking or start thinking about kicking great. In other mm -hmm. words, start getting ready to kick great in the next game. Let's not right. spend the whole week thinking about the one you missed. Right. And do you, have you ever worked with players who put a lot of their own self-worth into their performance? So, for example, if you have a great golfer and he has a great set of putts, suddenly he thinks he's a great person and he has a great day and so on and so forth. But if they go onto the course and they have a couple poor shots and they, they start to think that they're a poor golf player and then they're a bad person and all this stuff, how do you, well, do you kind of notice that that there. happens? Yeah, I mean, there's two issues. One is – we can't stop the rest of the world from seeing you only as a kicker. In other words, that's their image of you. That's all they know about you. That's all they care about you. That's mm. who you are to them. Okay. But for yourself, you have to be able to say, that's not how I see myself. You know, I see myself as a father. I see myself as a son. I see myself, you know, as this good guy. I mean, that's why you like people to have other interests um, that, you know, I mean, like, like I like kickers to play golf. It's like, you can learn a lot about kicking from playing golf, but, but, you know, I think you got to have other interests in life. Um, like I don't, I don't want kickers to spend every night reading about kicking. Like even an uh, interesting point, like sometimes people come and start working with me and they go, Oh, this psychology stuff is so great. And next thing you know, they want to read every book ever written on psychology. And I go, right. no, I've already reduced all this to this. Let, let's just do this. Right. You know, I don't want you to become a scholar. <laughs> I, I want to just give you what you need to do to be great at what you do. So, I mean, I'd rather have people have interest in something else. And so when you leave the field or the locker room, I want you to forget about it. And then take maybe 15, 20 minutes at night. To just say, okay, I'm going to take 15, 20 minutes every night, the TV off, computer off, phone off, and I'm just going to visualize what I want and see myself doing, see myself in every situation and be prepared for anything and everything that could happen and know how you're going to respond to it. So what's really key is that you know how you're going to respond to anything that happens. And whether it's you missing a field goal or whether – it's a coach yelling at you or teammates ostracizing you. It's like you got to own your head and your emotions and not let any of that stuff own you. And, you know, so that's what it's all about. 
do you see when you're with golfers and they're mid round, let's say they've had a pretty good start to the, the game or the course, and then they miss, you know, they, they miss on a, a, a certain swing or they, they slice the shot and then they try to, to adjust mechanically mid, you know, mid round. And then everything kind of spirals out of control. That happens sometimes for, for kickers as well. Like let's say they, they had a good first couple of kicks and then they shank the next one. What's your recommendation for when that happens because you know in your book you've you kind of talked about your thoughts on changing your mechanics up mid-game yeah i'd I'd rather have them change their target Mm -hmm. than change than change how they kick um i think that's doubt and fear taking over now if someone can prove to me that they can make an adjustment in the game and kick better you know, I'm pragmatic enough to say, look, all we want is to have you performing great. If you, from your experience, know you can do that and make it work, I'm fine with it. It's like when people ask me about getting angry. You know, versus, you know, I'm, in general, I'm telling people, I want you to be cool, calm, and collected and unflappable. And someone will say, well, you know, what if I like to get really angry when I miss one? I said, well, how do you kick on the next one? I said, what do you mean? Well, I said, I'm not trying to raise choir boys or Boy Scouts. I'm trying to raise great kickers. And if you can prove to us that you can get angry and then go to your next kick, you know, like some people will get mad determined, mad decisive, and it really narrows their mind. And they go out there and kick great. But I said, you better make sure it's going to work on the most important day of your life. It better not be, you know, maybe a regular season game in the second quarter. You know, it works. But, geez, if it's in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl and I'm already pretty, you know, into it, you know, is it going to work there? So, I mean, ultimately, I have lots of room for options, but we better make sure it works under pressure. Right. And so when you talk about getting into the game, you know, as kickers, we don't have the flow of game. Football is stoppage of play, kind of similar to golf. You initiate a lot of the action yourself. You talk about a pre-shot routine for your golfers. Could you talk us through, you know, two or three keys for your pre-kick or pre-shot routine philosophy and why that's so important? Well, the first key is to decide how long, you know, okay, so the ball is in a certain part of the field on a certain down how early do you start getting your head into going on the field and kicking? You know, so, I mean, you know, and everyone, it's a little different. Um, so, I mean, there's a early stage and then it's like, well, when you go on the field, I want people to anticipate that the other coach isn't going to call timeout. In other words, if he doesn't call timeout, I want us to be ready to kick. I don't want us to go in the game and go, Oh, they'll probably call timeout and then have the coach not call timeout and you're not ready. Um, I think it's almost at the point when coaches call a timeout or two, I mean, it almost is easier for kickers. You know, it's gotten Mm -hmm. so commonplace. Um, But then, I mean, it basically, I want them to, most of my kickers are, there's a target up in the stadium that's someplace in the middle of the goalpost. It might be on the right side of the goalpost. It might be in the middle. Um, depending on the kicker, but it's usually a high target. 
and it's something out there in the distance. And then they got their steps and we're, we're visualizing the kick. And then it's kind of like your brain goes quiet and it's like, and this is what's beautiful in football is that there's a snap and it's mm -hmm. like, it's like a waggle in golf. It's like, that's your trigger. Like with a lot of the golfers I work with, it's like when they're putting, when their eyes come back to the ball, that's their trigger to start their backstroke so that they won't get back to the ball and then start thinking to make right. sure I make a really good stroke. The advantage you've got in kicking is it, it forces a trigger. In other words, when that ball is snapped, you start your steps and you go. And at that point, it's like all programmed. I mean, this is what I'm doing. I mean, I'm taking these steps and I'm going to, and, and the difficulty of talking about it is the English language isn't very good for describing a quiet mind. I mean, if you think about it, the English language was put together to describe conscious analytical thought. And so right. it's really hard to even explain what it means to not think. <laughs> so we, we come up with terms like unconscious or quiet mind or the zone or, you know, or do nothing, you know, uh, you know, or, you know, like I tell you, I, I like the Nike quotes, great for sport, just do it, you know, um, and, and I'm constantly telling people, I mean, it's too bad so few Nike players just do it, but <laughs> it's a great slogan, and, right. I mean, but I mean, so it's hard to actually, and that's why you need to get people to, you have to talk it through. And like when I'm working with guys from other countries and other languages, I remember working with Sebi Ballesteros years ago. And it's even harder when you're talking to someone whose main language is Spanish and he can speak English, but you know, it's a little bit right. of a struggle. And I mean, it's even harder, you know, to explain having that quiet of mind. Um, like when I, first met him he told me he got messed up because someone sent him to an instructor that got him all technical and mechanical and he was a very visual player and he said my the way he described it is my brain he now when I stand over a golf shot my brain goes there's no quiet anymore I don't see picture I think about swing instead of see right and he told me he said boy when I was 19 he said I came to America I had made a tape of myself winning the Masters and I listened to it thousands of times. And he said in his funny little Spanish accent, he says, Dr. Rotella, I know I win before plane land in Augusta. Hmm. He said, only problem, I walk up 18th fairway with no emotion of excitement because I know I win before tournaments start. And I said, that's okay. I'll teach you how to party afterwards. <laughs> you know? But I mean, it's, uh, but I mean, it's, 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 so I mean, a lot of it is preparing your mind so that it's comfortable. Mm. It's people don't do things very well that they're uncomfortable with and all comfort is that you see it in your mind. Mm. Do you think people, why do you think people struggle so much with being successful? Well, because we love winners, but we can't stand people who believe in themselves. Why is that? Well, I mean, think about how crazy it is in America right now that, you know, we're the land of opportunity. We talk about the American dream and yet, we really are getting to a point where we don't like people who are successful. Right. Uh, and, and, and what goes with it is we can't stand people who are confident. And <laughs> you're like, like, like I was talking to someone recently and they started talking about 
how much they love Obama and can't stand Trump. And I was like, why is that? Well, he's so cocky. And I went, you don't think Obama's cocky? Right. Like, you know how cocky <laughs> you, gotta be you cocky. Be believe you could be president of the United States? I don't, has there ever been a president who hasn't been cocky? <laughs> exactly. But I mean, if you express it right. publicly, people tend to really be offended by it. So we tend to like people better who fake humility. You know, in other words, they like, you know, every time they win, it's like, oh, I was so lucky. I can't believe I won. This is unbelievable. Those guys are so good. You know, and they really say what the public wants to hear. Right. But I'll promise you, in working with those people, I mean, inside their own head, it's like, yeah, right. I knew I was going to win before this thing happened. You know, it's like, I was so, I'm so good, it's ridiculous. Um, right. You know, so I mean, it's some people learn to say what the public wants to hear. Other people just say, I don't care what they want to hear. If they ask me, I'm telling them the truth. You know, so I mean, and, and I tell people, I don't really care. I mean, growing up, I was certainly brought up to never tell anyone how good you were or whatever. Um, right. you know, that'd be the last thing my parents would probably want to hear. But, or our coaches or the priests that ran our school. But as you study this stuff, you realize there's never been a great one who wasn't full of himself. I always remind people, I said, probably the best book title I ever heard was Joe Namus. You know, and he had a big close-up of his face on the front and back cover. And the title of his book was, I can't wait till tomorrow because I get better looking every day. I said, <laughs> you know how good you got to feel about yourself to do that? Right. And then he, then he went out and delivered, so. Yeah. And, do you and think if you met yeah. him today, you'd say he's the most down-to-earth good guy. It's like you meet Bobby Orr and you go, wow. He's the most down-to-earth great guy. You meet John Havlicek from the Celtics or Bob Cousin, you say, wow, they're just down-to-earth really good people. And I think most are that way. But when they're mm. doing their thing, and for a kicker, it's when you're on the field and it's time to kick, you better go into this other world. Um, it's a world within a world that you create inside your head where you just say, this is my thing. This is what I'm great at. And, man, when I'm doing my thing, you know, I'm a different person. Do you feel like do you feel like players believe that their their nerves or their fears are exceptional or that like they're too special? You know, like so for example, when I've had NFL guys come out to work with on the same field as a couple of high school kids and they talk about, yeah, I mean, I still get nervous before I kick all the time. And the high school kids are like, Oh man, like you feel the same way I feel. Um, I guess do do you feel like you know, if you, when you're working with a player, they almost think that their fears are like so exceptional and unique. Like there's no way they'll overcome it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's a big issue. You have to deal with a lot of people. I mean, and yet if you read Jack Nicholas's books, I mean, let's say he and Tiger, are the two greatest golfers ever, they are very open about how nervous they were and how, boy, when I felt nervous, I knew I was ready to play great. I mean, I think the great ones realize that they play better when they got some nerves. I want Why their mind quiet, but the body's going to be excited. Mm. I mean, so, I mean, I'm not worried about that. It's just, but you can't get psyched out by your body being nervous. And I tell people, you know, they're butterflies. Butterflies are these beautiful little critters that land on a flower and the flower opens up and welcomes the butterfly. It doesn't close up and die when the butterfly lands on it. <laughs> we call them demons if that's what they were. 
Right. But, but they're not. And, but yeah, I mean, I think you have to help people. And certainly, you know, when a young kid gets exposed to someone who was a great kicker and finds out that they feel the same way, it helps. I mean, I first read about it, you know, Bill Russell, who won 11 world championships in basketball and two NCAA championships at the University of San Francisco. How about him? He was so good that they, they, the president canceled basketball because basketball was getting too important after Russell won two championships. For the next <laughs> 50, year, 50 or 60 years, they had no basketball. They're back playing. Really? Again. Wow. But I mean, Bill Russell in his book wrote about even as a 10th NBA championship season, he would go in the bathroom and throw up before every game. And that was his sign that he was ready. He said, you know, I, I'd be more concerned about not being interested. And, man, when I'd get sick in the locker room, I knew I was ready. So, I mean, it doesn't mean – so, I mean, a lot of it, what people think it means. It, I think people think other people and, – and I'll tell you the reason why is because when you watch yourself kick – and this is the benefit of being an NFL kicker – when you watch yourself kick, you go, oh, God, I don't look like I'm shaking out there. I don't look like I'm nervous. You know, but you're feeling right. all this stuff. So, like, the golfers will feel like their arms and hands are shaking on a putt to win or something. And when they watch the replay, they go, oh, it's just a perceptual distortion. In other words, you feel like you're shaking like crazy. And then when you watch the replay, it's like, don't even notice it. Right. So, I mean, that's, so, I mean all of that helps people understand it. Right. I usually so, tell them, I said, if you were going to make out with a really good-looking girl, would you be – you have more butterflies if she was really good-looking or if she wasn't too attractive? Right. And most people say, well, I'd much more butterflies if she's really good-looking. I go, yeah, well, it makes it better. And I said, <laughs> same way in football. Right. So you yeah, got to learn not to be afraid of being nervous. That's what we right. create. You know, I tell guys, I still play a lot of tournaments. So I said, you know, I don't get them on Tuesday afternoon playing with the boys. That's why you go play in tournaments because mm -hmm. you learn to love it. I mean, that's, you know, that's what sport competition is about. Right. And so it's, it's funny too. There's almost the opposite effect. Like we've all been around guys who seem to be in a rut. They just, they can't seem to make a kick. And in the NFL, obviously that leash is incredibly short, but then there's the opposite that happens when you have a hot streak. And I see, at least with younger kids, when they are, hitting really great kicks it always happens the second another kid at a practice session says hey that you're having a great day like within two kicks the hot streak is over could you kind of break down how you define a hot streak and then how you should deal with one when you're in it yeah i mean i think that's where you just see yeah, my immediate response to anyone i was working with would be well see all you're talking about is the outcome I'm not mm -hmm. talking about the outcome. I'm talking about the process. I'm talking about the routine. Did right. you do what you wanted to do? So I might say, did you know what you wanted to do before you went on the field? Did you do what you wanted to do when you kicked? And if you did, then you did all that you could do to be successful. Just keep doing that. The odds are stacked in your favor. So we're not chasing perfect we're not chasing the zone. I mean, the zone is a nice place, but even Michael Jordan said he was in it like 1% of his life. Right. Um, it's how good do you kick when you're not 
in that unbelievably special place. Are you going to every once in a while, is everything we're doing enhancing the chance of you going into a hot streak? Yes. But if, if we can't handle someone saying something about being in a hot streak or you've just made 12 in a row, well, then you don't understand yourself yet. You know, so I mean, it's like, it's like you have to be able to laugh at those comments and say, yeah, well, that's cool, but um, I'm just doing this on every kick. I care more about the process than I do about the outcome. The whole world's right. going to only care about the outcome. You know, they're right. going to care about winning or losing or making or missing. You've got to be more into the process. How have you seen athletes change over the course of, you know, the past 10, 20, 30 years or so from when you first started coaching? the you know the performance psychology of success versus now well it's interesting i mean people ask me that a lot even a lot of people who are sports psychologists say how do you get people to listen to you and i said i've never had a problem getting people to listen to me um mm -hmm. i've always had people calling me i've never called anybody um and i said as long as you help people do better you'll have business if you don't help people get better you'll be out of business Right. I said, it's really as simple as that. So it's a very result-driven world of sport, but you have to get them into a process. So there's a philosophy, and I tell people philosophy has been around a lot longer than psychology. So if you have a messed up philosophy of competition or success, you'll have a messed up psychology. Um, so, I mean, you have to take a look at some of those issues. But a, a lot of it is just, hey, I mean, just keep helping people. And... Uh, I think some of it is, uh, are you able to believe in other people? Are you able to see talent in other people and bring it out of them? I mean, that's a lot of what it's about. Um, I don't know why. I mean, people ask, you know, it's like asking you why you're a good kicker. And it's like, we can talk about it, but we don't really know. You know, it's like, right. I don't know why I happen to be better at this than seeing X's and O's. And, you know, and I was pretty good at X's and O's, but it's like, this just came a lot easier to me. Right. Um, you know, and people start making up stuff like, oh, well, you've got charisma or you've got this. You know, you know, I don't know. I've just tried. I have loved sports since I was a little kid. By fifth grade, it infatuated me. And I've always been in love with it. And, you know, I just I love people who love it. And I love people who are committed to seeing how good they can get. And I've had a ball helping them. But I mean, it's uh, it's hey, it's it's challenging, but it's fun. And it's right. you, it gives you a reason for getting up in the morning and it gives you a test every day. Right. You're encoded for this. Yeah. I mean, if you want some boring, you know, safe, secure job, there are other jobs. Right. You know, it's, uh, but anyways, it's that basic really. What's, um, you know, so obviously you've worked with tons of players and, you know, when, when you look back on your career and all the players that you've helped, get closer to their dreams what's the one thing you want them all to remember about their experience with you well that it's their dream and let's let's get up every day having fun seeing how many of your dreams can come true but also realize that it's not going to make or break your life i mean like you think it is <laughs> right. You know, I've worked with teams that have won Super Bowls. I've worked with teams that have won NCAA championships. 
as a kid, that would be like unbelievable. You know, if, if someone asked me when I was 15, if I could imagine being able to have those experiences and, you know, I think 82 majors in golf, you know, and it's like, I probably, I don't even know if I could have imagined it at 15, but my dreams grew as I got older. Um, but what you find out is they don't really matter. I'm like, okay, so you did it and you got a ring and then you get up the next day and it starts all over again. <laughs> it's like, right. okay, now we got to go see if we can do it again. Right. It's like, you know, it's funny, like the Virginia basketball team and lacrosse team won the national championship last year. And it's like two weeks later, it's all about, can we defend? Can we do it again? Right. Can, can we have a great year after winning the national championship? You know? And so, I mean, but that's why we love it. Because now everyone's going to want to beat you even more. <laughs> right. And that's what's been so incredible about what Belichick and the Patriots have done. I mean, you know, I mean, it's pretty darn amazing. But he's in, in today's era, I think football has done a better job than any sport of trying to equalize competition and right. giving everybody a chance. And it's really amazing what they've accomplished. And, you know, and I mean, I know we talk about Belichick and Brady, but I mean, just that whole organization, what they've managed to do. But like sure. I said, they had great kicking. <laughs> yeah, they did. And it's what, amazing now, how they don't, I mean, they don't get the credit that they deserve. But if someone, I haven't done a study of it, but I think people would be amazed if they went back and they'd see, well, Brady had his share of turnovers. They made a lot yeah. of mistakes. Now, did he keep his cool and keep on throwing? Yep. And, you know, it's like, oh, like when Doug Peterson beat them in the Super Bowl. Um right. Yeah, I love Doug. He's a great guy, and I spent some time with him. But, I mean, it's like he just kept attacking. Most teams, they get behind in the Super Bowl or ahead in the Super Bowl, and they go into the prevent offense and defense. And he right. had enough guts to keep going after it. And he just kept attacking. He had a plan, and he didn't back off once he got the lead. You know, it's hard to do because you're going to get second-guessed. You know? <laughs> right, you know, especially especially being in that role. What's – um, kind of one of the last questions here, if you could talk to, you know, an athlete listening to this podcast, what would be one piece of advice you would give them that would help that, that you think might help them have a better season? Well, first of all, have a plan mm -hmm. of what you got to do to be great. Know what you want to do before you go on the field and then go do what you know you need to do when you go on the field and don't let anything distract you from doing it. And then I'd say, boy, you better believe in yourself. And right. they're, they're your thoughts about you. So you better fill your head with good stuff. Awesome. In other words, if someone else doesn't believe in you, you can live with it. But if you don't believe in yourself, you know, it, it'll, it'll ruin your potential. Awesome. Hang on one second. Uh, let's see. Now a word from our sponsor, Wizard Sports. For high-quality athletic practice equipment, you just can't beat Wizard Sports Equipment. The products they offer are designed with the highest standards. With input from pro athletes and equipment managers, Wizard Sports continues to offer the best in the game and practice sports equipment. They've been in business since 1984 for a reason. We have a great customer following, and if a problem or question comes up, we're always there to help. Be sure to check out Wizard Sports today at wizardsports.com.
Thanks for listening to another episode of the Kickers Are People 2 podcast. If you like this episode, or even better, if you didn't like it, please drop us a review on iTunes so we can get better for everybody else. This is important because we're going to start to give away some free, cool prizes in the coming weeks, episodes, and seasons. Thank you.